welcome back. We are in uh, week two of this series, and I appreciate all of you being out on uh, this beautiful October morning here in Savannah. Uh, I know it is literally 100% easier for you to just not be here <laughs> than to be here, so I appreciate uh, all of you being out. Uh, now, we started last week looking at the question, um, basically, of uh, how do I know what it is I'm supposed to do? In any situation, in any given moment, how do I know what God wants me to do? How do I know what choice God wants me to make, what direction God wants my life to go? The churchy way that we put it last week was, how do I know God's will for my life? And uh, we looked last week to get this whole thing rolling, that essentially anytime you talk about the will of God uh, in the scriptures, it comes up in three different contexts. Uh, The first context is the providential will of God, which is... Whatever he's going to have happen is going to have happen, and it's going to happen. There's nothing you and I can do to stop it, and uh, he'll use us sometimes to do that, but it's going to happen, no stopping it. Uh, The second uh, way that we see it is in the moral will of God, which is those things that are essentially written out literally in black and white, sometimes red, of these are the things you should do and not do. These are the ways you should behave. Um, And uh, that is uh, pretty clear. Those are the things that you don't ever need to consult God on if you should do those things or not. You should never have to pray a prayer, God, should I lie in this situation? That's already been addressed. You don't need to waste your prayer on that. You should never have to ask, God, should I cheat in this situation? Already been addressed. Never should have to pray that. So that's kind of the moral will of God that's just out there. And uh, the third is that one that we're all much more interested in, the personal will. What does God want for me? And as we talked last week, the more you know through the scriptures, the providential will of God, kind of the arc of what he's doing, and that moral will of God, the more you're familiar with those things, the easier it is to decipher or to see what the third one is. That is what God wants you to do in your personal life. So somewhere between those guardrails of providential and moral will lies the personal will. Now, sometimes you're in a position where there is a, an answer or a decision that you need to make, and it needs to happen immediately. And maybe you're you know, fairly early on in your journey, your spiritual journey, and you're like, okay, okay, providential, moral, that all sounds good, and I understand you got to get to know that better, but I don't know it, and I have to make this decision now. So in not really knowing these things, like, is there a shortcut? Is there a way to figure out what God wants me to do? I mean, I want to, well, I'll get familiar with all of those, but, but now I need to make a decision now. Is there a way to fast track the whole thing? So if you have your scriptures, we're going to look at a story in 1 Kings. Uh, We're going to be starting out in chapter 12. And here we find in this passage illustrated for us uh, something that is so obvious that once we start, the question is going to be, do we really need to spend a half an hour talking about this? (laughs) Because it's going to be uh, one of those things where you're like, ah, yes, that is so, so obvious to see. Yet, this is one of those things that is so vitally important that there's a tendency for us to overlook it and not leverage it for our benefit, right? That, that, that uh, listen, God wants us to know what he wants us to do more than we want to know what he wants us to do. Because he knows that if we operate in the ways that he would like us to operate, like life is going to be much better for us. And so he's giving us, given us a very clear and practical way um, for us to be able to determine what he wants or his will, if we're going to stay churchy with it, uh, 
for our life, right? Now, in this passage, we find the story of a would-be king, right? And he stumbled upon this principle and then immediately violated it, right? If there was some background to this story, we're going to pick it up. Uh, Up to this point, Israel had had three kings. Uh, Saul was the first. He was terrible. Uh, David came second. Some things he was great at, some things he was horrible at. Saul came third, he started, or I mean Solomon, he started real strong, then faded off towards the end as his attention started to drift uh, to being married to women in foreign nations and started becoming consumed uh, with some of their gods. And so because of a result of Solomon trailing off at the end there, uh, God basically said, look, you've disappointed me. And so as a result, I am going to take away part of the kingdom of Israel from you and your family. And, uh, but because of a promise that God had made to David, he tells Solomon, he says, okay, uh, I'm going to leave some of the kingdom under David's name. But the majority of the kingdom, because of some of the things that David did, because some of the things you've done, Solomon, uh, is going to be taken away. But I'm going to wait until you're gone to do it. Right? So God sends a prophet uh, his, name, his name is uh, Jeroboam, uh, with the same message uh, that uh, he had given Solomon. Now, the prophet's name wasn't, he sent him to Jeroboam. And uh, he said, listen, Jeroboam, uh, you and your followers, even though you're not in the royal line, you are going to take over part of the nation of Israel. It is going to come under your rule. Well, Solomon heard about this. He's not too thrilled about it. He's pretty upset. So he, uh, tell me if you've heard this from a uh, king of Israel before up to this point, he decided he's going to chase Jeroboam down and kill him. (laughs) Seems to be a recurring theme for kings of Israel as they find out that the next king's not gonna be who they want it uh, to be. So this is what he's gonna do. Uh, Jeroboam, of course, catches wind of this. He flees to Egypt uh, to hide. Time goes by, Solomon eventually died, and everybody just assumed that Solomon's son, Rehoboam, would be the next king. So this is where we're going to pick up the story um, as the entire nation has sent representatives to crown Rehoboam, the son of Solomon, as the next king. But before they do, the representatives make a request. They make a request. And this request sets us up for the principle that we're going to look at today. Here, here's how it goes. First Kings chapter 12. It says, Rehoboam uh, went to Shechem for all of the Israelites had gone there to make him king. Now, That's not literally every Israelite went there. Uh, That is the equivalent of, uh, on a St. Patrick's Day weekend, all of Savannah was downtown celebrating St. Patrick's Day. It's that kind of all of. It was a lot, not literally everybody. So when Jeroboam, son of Nebat, heard this, uh, he was still in Egypt where he had fled from King Solomon. He returned from Egypt. So they sent for Jeroboam. And he and the whole assembly of Israel went to Rehoboam and said to him, your father put a heavy yoke on us. But now lighten the harsh labor and the heavy yoke that he put on us. And as a result, here's what we'll do. We will serve you. And the word serve there is extremely key in this passage. They're essentially saying, listen, if you will lighten up as to the way your dad ran things, like we're loyal to you. We'll follow you. We'll do you what you want, right? Because with your father, we were constantly having to build things, right? There was high taxes. There was forced labor. I mean, we are worn out because of the way your father ruled over. So, so do us a favor 
If we make you king, will you lighten up, right? Maybe go just a couple of years without a new building program, right? Maybe just a little bit of time before you raise taxes any higher, right? Because your father nearly destroyed us, right? Now here is where Rehoboam, as a brand new king being anointed, is kind of at a a defining moment in his life. Because here he is, he has a decision to make. And from our vantage point, as we're reading through this story and, you know, looking at how people are saying things, we're like, sure, why not just agree to that? Lighten up a little bit and they'll serve you. Seems like a good deal. But there was a lot at stake. Because for him to say, yes, I will be merciful and I won't be as heavy-handed as my father was, right, that may have sent the message that he was weak. And if he said yes to that, he may always be subject to his people constantly coming and asking for things because apparently he's going to say yes when they ask, right? Now, on the other hand, he knew. He knew that his father had been a taskmaster and there may have been something in him that wanted to give in. Be like, yeah, I get it. I didn't like it when my dad made me things, do things either, right? So this was a difficult moment for him. Uh, in his life. And the important thing is, is that he did not have uh, the skill or the wisdom or the experience in his life to really be able to make the right decision. So he does what is a very smart thing. He asks for time. Here's what he says. Rehoboam answered, go away for three days and then come back to me. So the people went away. And then after that, he does this thing that all of us really need to learn to do when we've got a decision that we have to make and it needs to be made now, when there's pressure on us for a decision, right? When there's so much pressure and emotion that, that maybe we're not even able to think clearly when considering all of our options. What he did was Rehoboam sent for outsiders to come in and have consultation with him, right? Wise older people. And God spoke through them. Here's how that went. King Rehoboam consulted the elders who had served his father Solomon during his lifetime. How would you advise me to answer these people, he asks. How? So he went to these men, these men who had context, who had experience, who had watched his father serve, who had seen the mistakes who had seen the consequences of the poor choices, who had seen the good things that had come out of the good decisions, who who had seen the rewards uh, of all of Solomon's reign, right? And he went to these older, wiser men and he asked them, what should I do when it comes to this request, right? And that was probably the single best decision he made in his entire reign as king, right off the bat up front. Well, here's how they responded. He said, if today you will be a servant to these people and serve them and give them a favorable answer, they will always be your servants. In other words, they gave him really good advice. They gave him godly advice. They said, if unlike your father, you choose to be a servant king, not a taskmaster king, these people will be loyal to you unto death. That's what we suggest. But with everything he had done right up to this point, this is where Rehoboam leaves his better judgment. Verse eight, but Rehoboam rejected the advice that the elders gave him and consulted the young men who had grown up with him and were serving him. In other words, he went from the people who had context 
who had experience, who had wisdom, who had seen things go on. And instead, he goes to the people who are young, have no context, no wisdom, as they don't have that much experience in life, and the people who had a lot at stake in the terms of what happened to Rehoboam. Because these people that he turned to, they were the kids that had grown up with him, and they were attached to him. As Rehoboam goes, so they go. If he's successful and powerful and wealthy, they are successful and powerful and wealthy. So what do you think was driving their decisions? He goes to them, he asks, what is your advice? How should we answer these people who say to me, lighten the yoke your father put on us? And the young men who had grown up with him replied, tell these people who have said to you, your father put a heavy yoke on us, but make our yoke lighter. Tell them my little finger is thicker than my father's waist, (laughs) which is a figurative way of saying, uh, if you think my dad was bad, you've not seen anything yet. You just wait until the way that I rule. They said, tell them, my father laid on you a heavy yoke. I will make it even heavier. My father scourged you with whips. I will scourge you with scorpions. Three days later, Jeroboam and all the people returned to Rehoboam, as the king had said, come back to me in three days. And the king answered the people harshly, rejecting the advice given him by the elders. Elders, He followed the advice of the young man, and he said, my father made your yoke heavy. I will make it even heavier. My father scourged you with whips. I will scourge you with scorpions. So the king did not listen to the people. For this turn of events, and this is interesting, was from the Lord, to fulfill the word the Lord had spoken to Jeroboam, son of Nebat, through Ahah the Shilonite. Now, that last part, not the names, but the content it was talking about, uh, it's complicated. And I know I'm not going to be able to explain this perfectly clear, but I'll try. In those last couple sentences, we have a picture of the providential will of God. That is, it's going to happen anyway. God had told Solomon, I am taking it away from your family. And so we've got that providential will of God mixing with the decision of somebody in their personal life and making a personal decision, right? And trying to make the right decision. In a sense, there was a way that Rehoboam was kind of set up for failure here because God had already decided the kingdom was going to be divided, But God brought about that providential will, that thing that was going to happen anyway, through the free choice and decision that Rehoboam made, right? On one hand, this is kind of a great example uh, about how the two of those things blend together, what God's going to do anyway, and then our personal decisions that we make within the context of our life. And it's a reminder how there are some things that God is going to do, and the wisest thing that we can do is get on board, to figure it out and be like, yep, I'm just going to go with that, right? But the other principle that this story illustrates is this, is it illustrates the value of going to others for advice. For going to others for advice, which is one of the primary tools that God will use in your life to give you what he might have for you One of those primary tools is the counsel of others. Here's why. 
and you can, you can relate to this uh, in your life. Many times we are forced to make decisions about things that are so close to us that it's impossible for us to actually be objective about them, right? Uh, for example, if you're having to make a decision uh, in some relationships, right? There's always that emotion that's involved in that, that kind of clouds our ability to see clearly, right? And that can be volatile and it can keep us from actually being able to clearly see options and what would be best for us, right? There's sometimes we have to make decisions concerning family members, right? And you know how complex that can be. (laughs) I'm not going any further there. There are some things that maybe we're having to make decisions and the things we're trying to decide about are just over our heads. Things we don't have a complete grasp on how they work. You may have to be making business decisions or finance decisions, and it's just above you, and you just don't know. Often, the decision-making environments that we are in are so complex, so fraught with danger and the possibility of failure and the consequences that can come with that, maybe so over our head that, listen, just trying to get alone and get quiet with God for a few minutes, like, that's not going to cut it. That's not going to bring you the clarity that you need. It's not gonna get you there. So what God has done is he has given you me and he's given me you, right? He's given us each other, right? Just as, just as no part of a body functions independently, it's all gotta work together for everything to be great. He's given us a lot of different parts and he's given us each other to help us facilitate and make better decisions when it comes to those moments. Now, if you will listen carefully, right? And if you will kind of create this category in your thinking, this category of, you know, saying, God, I believe that you can speak to me and guide me through those around me, through people that you have placed in my life. If you create that category in your life, you will be amazed at how clearly sometimes God will speak to you. Not in an audible voice, but by something that someone else is telling you as you're having those conversations will direct you in the way that you should go. And what's interesting is that the person in the scriptures who had more to say about this, this idea of going and getting counsel uh, from other people, um, was Rehoboam's father, Solomon, who was probably the last person that needed to be able to do that. He was in a flip situation. People traveled from all over the known world to come and listen to him talk because of his wisdom, right? But here he is saying, yeah, I could go on my own intuition with all of this. But listen, going to others for counsel is valuable. Here's some of the things he said. We find these verses all throughout Proverbs. Chapter one, he says this, a wise man will hear counsel, will hear an increase in learning, and a man of understanding will acquire wise counsel. Chapter 12, he says this, the way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man is he who listens to counsel. Chapter 13, through presumption comes nothing but strife, but wisdom is with those who receive counsel. Chapter 19, listen to counsel and accept discipline that you may be wise the rest of your days. Chapter 11, where there is no guidance, the people fail, but an abundance of counselors, there's victory. Chapter 15, without consultation, plans are frustrated, but with many counselors, they succeed. 
And to me, as I go through and I read those things, it's amazing to me if the wisest man to ever walk the earth says, listen, if you want to make correct decisions, you should seek others' counsel. Bring other people in on the process. Now, let let me tell you um, why I wanted to talk about this today. Um, Because where I live as a pastor... Uh, where I am constantly finding myself in positions where I'm talking to people about things that are going on uh, in their life and all sorts of issues that they're having. I mean, from everything from relationship issues to financial issues to career issues, money issues. Whenever I'm in those conversations, at some point as I listen, I'm going to ask the question, before you made this decision or this decision or this decision, did you talk to anyone else about it? I always get that question in somewhere. You know, be, before, you, before you signed that deal, before you got into that contract, before you did that lease, before you became involved with this person, before you quit that job, whatever it is, did you talk to someone else? And when people are in situations where their decisions have led to just a mess in their life, Nearly 100% of the time, the answer to that question is, well, no, (laughs) but I thought about it a lot. But no, I didn't talk to anyone else, which is obvious sitting on the outside of it because anybody with a little bit of common sense and objectivity would have been able to look at the decision they were getting ready to make and say, "Mm, that's a bad idea. That's not one that I would do. Now, There's kind of a caveat to this when the people that I'm talking to are Christians and the more involved they are in church, right? Because they'll, they'll say, they'll say, they'll say, no, I didn't talk to anybody, but I prayed about it. I prayed about it, you know, me and God. Now, listen, I am a hundred percent for prayer. Um, But listen, People tend to hear God say what they want God to say when they just spend time in prayer. It is very easy (laughs) to say, hmm, this is the thing I want, and I feel like God is pushing me in that direction, even when that's not at all what God may be saying, right? God has given given us something more practical than the let me just be quiet and what pops in my head is God t- talking to me. He's getting something more practical that, right? When it comes to getting good, sound advice, he has given us each other, each other. And 90% of the situations that I deal with when I'm helping people through tough parts of life could have been avoided if they would have just talked to someone else before they made these decisions, Right? And often, these are people who didn't set out to be like, well, I want to do the wrong thing and have fun and live it up and you know, just chalk up all the bad decisions in life. Boop, boop, boop. You know, that's not the... It's people who wanted to do the right thing, who want life to work out, who want it to be easy and to be better and to, to go in the direction. And now they're frustrated because they're like, well, why didn't, you know, why didn't God stop me? I prayed about it. <laughs> and God's like, well... I didn't stop you because I gave you the principle and the leverage to be able to use to come to wise decisions. You didn't use it. You didn't use it. Now, the flip side of that 
is when people will come in and they'll, they'll, they'll talk to a friend or a counselor about an issue. And then as soon as they start talking, it's like a light comes on. It's like, oh, it's so clear now, right? There was a situation recently that somebody came to me and they had a question and they kind of set up the whole circumstance and asked the question. They're like, what do you think? And I got like a sentence and a half in and I saw they had the answer. Like I didn't even have to finish the sentence. We could have just ordered more appetizers and been done with it, right? But I could see that they had it, that just hearing just a little bit of a different idea to get them kick-started got them into the right direction, right? And if you would ask them, they could probably be like, oh yeah, you know, you know God spoke to me, you know, in that conversation. And I'll be like, I don't know if God spoke. We were just having coffee, but it's there. Sometimes it's just that outside perspective that is so impossible for us to see when we're in it, right? And I'm learning in my life and I have learned and I'm getting a lot better at it. But like the decisions that I make, when I just make them on my own and I don't consult other people first, right? Those are the ones, those are the ones that pretty not too long after my wife follows up with, well, I could have told you that wouldn't have worked. <laughs> if I would have just put it out there for someone else to have another view of it, right? And now when I say going to council and getting outside opinions, and everything, I'm not talking about some big formal event. I'm not talking about getting together with somebody and starting out the conversation with, now I have a decision to make and I have asked God to speak through you today. Like this is not, this is not, this is not what I'm talking about. It's just developing kind of a, a familiarity and kind of an awareness that this is a tool God can use to help get you to the right place, right? And if we listen to others, you'll be amazed how clear God will speak to you. Now, I, I can, there's pushback against this. Like I can be, there's been some people like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But wait, let me tell you my story, right? My wife went to a counselor and we have spent thousands of dollars in years undoing the damage that they did, right? I went to a counselor and I got bad advice and made some decisions that I'm still paying for. Right? We, every one of us, if, we, if I were to give you a minute, you could tell me a, probably a story in your life at one point where you got bad advice from somebody. In fact, Rehoboam got terrible advice and it ended up with the kingdom of Israel being split because that was the advice that he followed. Now, here's what I want you to think about. The question isn't, or the issue isn't, should we listen to other people or not? The question isn't, does God speak to us that way or not? Because he does. We need to learn to listen, right? And establish some boundaries on who we listen to, right? On who we should and should not listen to. Now, if you're a note taker, I want you, I'm gonna give you some things. Five suggestions for you as you kind of seek out and leverage this principle and seek counsel from others, right? From those around you. Here's some, here's some advice. First, choose somebody who has nothing to lose from telling you the truth, right? The problem with Rehoboam when he went to his friends is that they were invested in what happened because they had a lot to lose. Because if he came off as weak and the people didn't respect him and he wasn't in power very long, that means they were not in power very long. And we all have friends who are the same way, 
Right? We all have friends that you get away from the core enough and you start getting a little bit to the outside ring of friends. And they're friends that are far more interested in the friendship than the friend. They're far more interested in what it benefits them because of the relationship, what they get out of it, than they are you as an individual. And they're gonna tell you, those people, whatever you need to hear in order to make sure that nothing happens to that friendship and that relationship because of what they get out of it. So they're gonna tell you what you need to hear. So if you want advice from somebody, ask somebody who has nothing to lose from telling you the truth. And if you decide to get mad at them, never speak to them again. Because they're gonna tell you the truth. Here's the second one. Choose somebody who is where you want to be in life. Here's where Rehoboam really went wrong, right? Find people who are where you want to be. And in a sense, they've kind of got a map of how they got there, right? So that you're essentially saying, look, I want to be where you are in your life, whatever arena that is. However, I want to be, I want my marriage or relationship to be as great as yours is. I, I want to be as financially sound as you are. I, I want to be, I want to have, I want to have a relationship with my kids the way you have a relationship with your kids. Like if find somebody in the area that you're dealing with who is where you want to be and start talking to them and say, I know that I'm not there yet, but I know the decisions I'm making now will affect if I get there or not. Would you please share with me how you got there? Right? Because the problem is, is that so many times we ask people who are just kind of in our immediate sphere for advice, and most of those people are no further down the road than we are. And they don't know how to get where you want to get, right? It's amazing how many times I see people who are having marriage problems turn to other people in the middle of marriage problems and ask what they think they should do. And surprise, surprise, it doesn't go well right? The number of times I have seen people take, take cue and advice uh, in their finances from people who are horribly in debt and making terrible decisions. And for some reason, they think it's going to work out for them. And surprise, surprise, it doesn't. We don't have any business taking advice from people who are no further down the road towards what we're trying to get to than we are. Those people are just peers and it's okay to share the journey and be like, oh man, that was rough today. Was this rough today? What did you, you know, experience? But when it comes to hearing from God and where God might like push you in the direction he wants to go, those people aren't it. So don't put a whole lot of stock in that. And if you're honest with yourself, chances are uh, that bad advice that you got in whatever situation that was, even if it came from professionals, probably came from people who were no further down the road than you in that particular area of their life. Now, what Rehoboam did was right when he went to the guys first who had context, who had experience, who had wisdom, but his friends had no more context than he had to be making that decision. And they were more concerned with their relationship with Rehoboam than they were with Rehoboam. Here's a couple. I won't drag these out. Ask more than one person because one person could be wrong. <laughs> Ask multiple people. Have these conversations. Here's another one. Choose somebody you know and somebody you don't know. And not somebody you don't know. You know. I'm not saying walk up to a stranger and be like, I need to hear from God. Can we talk? <laughs> not like that, but somebody that's not like a part of your everyday life, right? 
And then go into these conversations open to the fact that God may actually speak to you. That you may get it. That you may get an answer. You know, don't front load it. Hey, I've asked God to speak to you. You know, whatever. This isn't about control or somebody being um, further along than others. It's just about being open to hearing from God. And you don't know what form that'll be. It could be somebody says, well, you should do A. And A is so crazy that you're like, yeah, let's go with C. <laughs> like, or they say you should do A. And you're like, yeah, A. That makes total sense. Right? And it connects and you do it. Now, I want to give you more notes for you. Uh, I want to give you three very specific questions to ask somebody when you get to the end of a conversation where you've been asking kind of advice and setting their stuff up and getting counsel. Here's three very, question, three very specific questions. One, are any of the options that I'm considering outside of the boundaries as far as you know? Now, this is a great question, especially if you're not that far along in your spiritual journey or if you've kind of been around church forever but just haven't read that much scripture and you're not super familiar with the providential and moral will of God. It's a great question to ask of, hey, these are the things I'm considering. As far as you know, do any of those get outside of those boundaries? Because you know you can just immediately eliminate those options. Here's another question for you to ask. What do you think is the wise thing to do? Which is an important question because so often when we're deciding what to do, we couch it in terms of right and wrong. And a lot of times there's decisions that need to be made where there isn't a right and a wrong. There's just an option to be picked. And so then the question becomes, what is the wise thing to do in that situation? Right? You know, things like, do I stay in Savannah? Do I move to Atlanta? Right? Do I, do I, you know, do I keep this current job? Do I quit it and go and take this job? There's no right or wrong. There's what do you think would be the wisest, right? And you base that on, you know, hey, uh, based on what you know about me, the circumstances around my life, what I've told you I want to achieve down the road, what do you think is the wiser decision to make? And then here's, here's a super important one to ask as you wrap it all up. What would you do if you were me? If you were me, what would you do? Based on what you know and have experienced in your life and you had to make this decision, what would you do? And if you will be selective about who you ask, and if you will ask strategic questions, you will be amazed at how much God will illuminate the path that he wants you to take. That all of the other options will start to just kind of fade away and not be the ones, and it'll be clear the way that you should go. Now, there's three reasons that we don't do this. There's three reasons, right? The first is, well, Andy, I don't really know anybody to go talk to. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know those people. Well, look around. You can start with us in the room. We'll get you going. You know us at least, right? The second, the second thing that, that a lot of us don't do this is for the same reason that a lot of us will drive around lost for a long time trying to find something without asking anybody, right? Pride. Pride will keep us from doing it because there's something in us that's like, oh no, I should be able to figure this out on my own. I should be able to just spend some time in prayer and I, I can figure it out. And that couldn't be further from the truth. You're not made to be able to figure everything out on your own. It's why God has given us so many ways to get input from the outside. And then here's maybe the biggest one as to why we don't go ask other people for counsel when we have decisions to make. 
is because we already know what we're going to hear and we don't want to hear it. That's the big one. That's the one. And so instead of going and having somebody tell us what we know they're going to tell us, we're like, no, 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 no. I'm just going to take my little scripture that I've found that I can kind of twist and interpret into the way that I want. I'm going to spend my couple minutes alone with God so that I can get the fuzzy, you know, confirmation in the quiet with nobody else to know that this is what I want to do, right? I'm going to do that. I'm not going to ask them because I know what they're going to say and I don't want to hear it. Now, when you find yourself avoiding the counsel of others because you don't want to hear what you think you're going to hear, that should be a huge red flag that what you're getting ready to do is not the thing that you should do. And that is one of God's primary ways of saying, whoa, 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 pump the brakes and slow down here. Listen, God has given us each other and he's willing to speak to you through those around you. And if we will learn to leverage this principle and be careful about who we go to and ask the right questions, you will be amazed at how much God will lead you through your life because he wants us to know more than we want to know. And if we learn to listen, he is more than willing to speak. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you uh, for just the incredible way that we can open up these, these writings from thousands of years ago and find things that are so pertinent to our lives. Lord, I pray that for anybody in this room that may be in a situation where they've got a decision to make, the clock is ticking, the pressure's on. Lord, may they leverage this principle to give you more avenues to speak to them, to guide them, to lead them in the way that you want them to be. Lord, I thank you that you are willing to speak to us, that you want us to know the things that we should be doing. And so you don't work hard to keep it a secret, but if we will just do those things, that you will light the path that we should walk in our life. God, I thank you for your faithfulness. In your name, amen. Amen. Thank you so much for being out today. Look forward to next week as we continue on uh, in this series talking about how in the world we know what God wants us to do.